uh, through there if this is your first time, if you'd like some information about who we are as a church. Uh, we'd like to connect you to Clay Petzold will probably be in that area over there or somebody like Clay, somebody that has some sense of what's going on around here. And uh, he's got some packets, little uh, welcome packets that we'd like to put in your hand if you're here with us for the first time. Some of you may be here with family and you're just visiting family and um, you're not, a, not looking for a church here. You may live somewhere else. You're welcome as well. We're glad you're here. It's a treat to share the morning with you. We uh, want to celebrate this morning, obviously a lot to celebrate. I want to begin with prayer, praying for a church on the opposite side of the world in Kazakhstan, uh, a church named Sinem. Uh, we are connected to, we have a relationship with, and a, one of their elders is named Armand. We had lunch with him this week and had the chance to talk with him about some things I'd like to pray about. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, this morning, uh, before, we, before I ask some specifics about how we spend these next few minutes, I want to pray for Sinem Church in Kazakhstan. Uh, first of all, praying for a church that is... Uh, uh, not even supposed to be there, not even officially in the eyes of Kazakhstan, a church uh, that's just too small for their requirements to be a registered church. We're thankful that in your eyes that um, the size of the church is not qualified as a church. We're thankful that this church is elder-led, that it's, this church baptizes and sups together. This church preaches and hears and walks in what they hear. They sing true things about you back to you. Uh, Lord, I want to pray for Sinem this morning, praying for a decision that they are considering about combining with another church, um, just considering the demands that are placed on their leadership. Lord, we just entrust that decision to you. Pray for their leadership, for Alexei and Armand and the others, for an insight into your perfect will for the future of Sinem. We're thankful that we are talking about and praying about the possibility of churches actually combining uh, and that we would just entrust that possibility to you and celebrate uh, the outcome, whatever you have in store for them. Thankful for the chance to share a journey of faith with believers on the other side of the world, knowing that we're going to share eternity together. Uh, it's a treat and the taste of things to come. Lord, I, I want to pray about how we spend these next few minutes also. I want to pray that these next few minutes will be a sweet aroma to you because we are fueled by, led by, grateful hearts in preaching and in listening. I pray for um, overwhelming attentiveness and a awareness of what you've done for us in Christ that fuels us to be about acceptable and pleasing sacrifice in response. I'm thankful for the simplicity of this passage this morning. I'm thankful for the fitting message that we have a chance to enjoy on Easter 2015. I entrust this time to you, Lord. I ask you to bless it. Pray that you will be glorified in how we spend it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. It's home base for us this morning. I have a couple other passages for you this morning to go to if you want to just jot down where they are, if you'd like to put a bookmark in there and just have it at the ready. First uh, Peter chapter 2 we'll be bumping into twice over the course of the morning, and Psalm 50. And for the most part, the rest of our morning will be in Hebrews chapter 13. So uh, I'll give you a little bit more direction about where we're going as we go. Residents of Iztapalapa, Mexico, a suburb of, in Mexico City, perform a realistic passion play, a dramatic representation of Christ's crucifixion and death. 
During the play, 4,000 local actors reenact Christ's walk to his death on Calvary. The individual who portrays Jesus, chosen for his moral character and physical strength, it's important, endures wearing a crown of thorns and being flogged as he carries a 200-pound cross. He is then tied to it in a reenactment of the crucifixion. Now, in Pampanga, Philippines, it's not enough to be tied to the cross. Instead, participants here are actually nailed hands and feet to a cross, just as Jesus Christ was 2,000 years ago. These rites have taken place on Good Friday after a two-hour street play every year since 1962. At least three and as many as 12 individuals are nailed to a cross on a makeshift Calvary. Each person remains on the cross, listen to this, until he feels cleansed of his sin, while others flog themselves with bamboo sticks tied to a rope. One man has been nailed to the cross 22 times. This guy is either a mess or he's a saint. I don't know which he is, but hanging on the cross until you feel cleansed of your sin, I wonder how long that would be for me. I think the pain would, may, would mean I'm pretty cleansed about a second into it, but in reality, I don't know that I could hang long enough for that to actually accomplish what they're hoping for it to accomplish. In San Vicente de la Sanciera, Spain, participants dressed in white habits flog themselves at the Los Picaos procession in the Rehoa village of San Vicente de la Sanciera in northern Spain. Using esparto grass ropes, they whip their backs in a graphic display for 20 minutes. This method of penance used in many places through the through the 18th century, has managed to survive to modern times in this Spanish, Spanish village. It is amazing to me the lengths that people will go to to feel better about their sin. Flogging themselves. Wearing a crown of thorns. Crucifixion until you feel cleansed. I ask you this morning to consider, what do you do to feel better about your sin? Do you have some penance that you do to yourself? It may not quite be as bloody, it may not be quite as public. What do you do to reckon with your sin? This passage this morning is a real treat because it's going to help us deal with what is an appropriate response are an appropriate way to deal with your sin. What's a fitting way, a way that he would approve of, and then what's an appropriate response to what Christ has done for us? It's a wonderful passage this Easter morning that's going to answer what we're supposed to do with our sin, how we can find cleansing, and what we're to do then instead of the painful silliness. I've already mentioned this morning. Are there some appropriate and fitting sacrifices that we should still be offering? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. 
that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. There's really two parts to the message this morning. The first part I want to deal with, what are we supposed to do with our sin problem? How can we find cleansing? And it's right here from this passage. And then what is an appropriate response to that solution for our sin problem? And that's going to be the second part of the message. But first, what do we do with our sin problem? How can we find cleansing? What's just unfolded in the book of Hebrews to this point, what's developed up to this point, is critical to putting in perspective the answer to this question. To adding some context will help us and will be critical to answering this question. The context of where we are in this book, the book of Hebrews, it's a long sermon. And in context so far, what he's developed are the excellencies of Christ in the first 10 chapters of the book. He's compared him to anybody that a typical Christian Jew in that age would have compared Jesus to. Moses, Joshua, angels. He's shown that Christ is superior to all of those. He's put those in perspective through 10 chapters of developing who Christ is as high priest, ultimately, and as the final sacrifice. And then he develops over the course of two chapters, 12 and 13. I'm skipping 11 because 11 is just full of some faithful examples. But then in 12 and 13, he develops some things that we should then go do and be. Ten chapters, he develops the excellencies of Christ. And then in two chapters, 12 and 13, he develops fitting and appropriate responses. Now, the two words in this passage we're looking at today are going to help us answer this question. What are we to do with our sin problem and how can we find cleansing? And those two words are the words, through him. In light of all that's been shared in this long sermon, not this one, but the one that we're talking about, the book of Hebrews, to this point, in light of all that's been shared so far, the words through him can be interpreted and amplified two ways. The first way is through him as means. Through his work, chapter 1 through 10 worth of it, through his work as high priest and sacrifice, we are then able to do some things. Okay, so as means. But I want to go to what it also implies here in this passage. In light of all that's been shared in this book so far, the words through him can be amplified to mean by faith in him, we then go offer some sacrifices. So by faith in him is going to answer that question, that first question, what do we do with our sin problem? How can we find cleansing? Do we have to be nailed to crosses, wearing crowns of thorns, hanging until we feel cleansed? Or is there some other way? And through him is the answer to that. Through him, by faith in him, means that you believe that in fact, first of all, you have a sin problem. It means that you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, you share whatever compels a dude to feel like he's got to get nailed to a cross. You share an awareness of your sin problem to the point where you can at least understand why somebody would want to flog themselves. Because you are aware of your situation and your condition 
as a sinner. If you've read your Bibles, you know that you're guilty just by being related to Adam. But if you look in the mirror and you know yourself, you know you don't need Adam to be guilty. We all do a pretty good job of that on our own. But by faith in him means that you know that you have transgressed and sinned against your creator and that our creator does not wink at sin for he is holy and he is just. And his holiness and his justice will not allow him to turn a blind eye to your sin for we know that the wages of that sin is death. So faith in Christ means that you believe that he made the payment for your sin once for all your sin, past, present, and future. One payment, one cross, one sacrifice. It means you believe that he was your replacement on death row, that he walked the green mile, that he sat in that chair and took every amp that you were due. That's what faith in him means. You believe that he took your place. Faith in him means that you believe your standing with your creator has changed forever because of that work. Because his son took your place paying for your sins on his cross. Faith in Christ means that you believe Hebrews 10, verse 10, that says... We have been sanctified. We have been holified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You don't need to be nailed to a cross. All you have to do is believe that. You don't need to wear a crown of thorns. No more flogging. Just believe that this is true. Believe on in verse 12 where it says, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, that he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because he's living and reigning and ruling because you believe with me that Sunday morning he left the tomb very vacant and that he is risen and reigning and ruling at the Father's right hand right now. Through him, by faith in him means that you believe that. And if you believe this, then you don't need to be flogged. You don't need to do anything else to deal with your sin. You don't need to wear a crown of thorns. You don't need to be crucified hanging until you feel cleansed. Because the final sin-covering drop has been shed. Amen? Man, when he said it's finished, he meant it. It's finished. It was paid for in full past, present, and future. No floggings, no crosses, no crown of thorns. So what are we to do then? If we believe that with everything in us, believe that by faith that our sins are covered, that our sins have been paid for, that we are cleansed, that we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, what are we to do then? Chapters 12 and 13 have many answers to that question. Beautiful answers. Chapters 12 have beautiful answers like continue to run the race with endurance, holding fast to one another. 
beautiful answers to that question in chapters 12. And then in chapter 13, there's one answer after another. Love one another like brothers and sisters, brotherly love. Remember the imprisoned. Remember those that are being mistreated. Honor marriage. It's a fitting response to the cross. Be content with what you have and don't love money. Remember your leader's past. And follow as hard as it is your leader's present. Those are appropriate and fitting responses to chapters 1 through 10 of what our high priest did for us in offering himself in a final and perfect sacrifice. But verses 15 and 16 condense it. They synthesize a whole chapter, really you could say in some ways, chapter 12 as well, an answer for us of how to respond to 10 chapters in Hebrews of what God has done for us in Christ. The structure of this chapter, in chapter 13 especially, seems to point to these two verses as being the nougat. Scott Sutton, I borrowed that word from him, it's a good word, the nougat. The center point, the focal point of a chapter full of appropriate responses to Christ as high priest. One of my commentators, probably the one that I value the most in terms of his handling of the text, he said these two verses constitute the theological and practical synthesis of the book of Hebrews. Our last three-year investment, three-and-a-half-year investment at this point, in the book of Hebrews can be synthesized and condensed into these two wonderful verses. So what are we to do then in response to the through him? What are we to do then? This passage exposes the answer for us in verses 15 and 16 by giving us two sacrifices. Two appropriate sacrifices for God's people to continue to offer. But yet they're bloodless sacrifices. Anybody glad we don't have to hang on any crosses with me? Anybody celebrating that? No crown of thorns? We don't need this anymore. Just some appropriate and fitting bloodless sacrifices that we do not to feel better about our sin because we don't need to do anything to feel better about our sin. We have to make a beeline to the cross because that's where our sin was dealt with. The motive for these sacrifices are just an appropriate response to your sin problem being reconciled through the cross. And they're wonderful. The first of two is in verse 15. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The first of these appropriate sacrifices that we are to offer in response to the perfect sacrifice is the sacrifice of praise. Thankfully, he defines it for us here too. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. First of all, I have three thoughts on this first sacrifice. The first is that our praise sacrifice is fruit, not tree. Our praise sacrifice is, the, is fruit, not the tree. Our praise sacrifices are fruit to his sacrifice that is the tree. Our sacrifices spring from and grow from his sacrifice. And they grow only in so much as they are rooted in his work. For fruit isn't just born on its own. It's got to be connected to the tree. 
This passage so beautifully connects it to Christ. I mentioned the other meaning of through him. It's not only a way that we can contextually say that by believing him, by faith in him, but it's also through him means that as a means of his work, we are now able to offer some sacrifices. As a means of his work, like he is the tree, and what we do is bearing fruit. Through him means that his work is both ground of praise and the condition of acceptance by God. It means that it is both object of praise, his work as high priest and sacrifice, but it is the means by which we are able to bear the fruit of praise. His work is the tree, and the sacrifice of praise is the fruit, and that fruit is only going to be born only in so much as we are connected to his wonderful work The work of the cross should not just be enjoyed on Friday and Sunday, of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. The work of the cross should be fueling Christians every single day. If we are to offer up an appropriate sacrifice of praise, that's only going to be offered, and it's only going to be a product of people that are connected to the tree of his perfect, complete, final sacrifice. If you ever get to the point where you just assume that, then you're not going to be bearing fruit anymore. I don't think that our father wants his son's work to ever be assumed. It's supposed to be enjoyed. And as it's enjoyed, there's a fruit of praise born. The second thought on this sacrifice of praise is that our lips actually cultivate the growth of this fruit. Our lips. He says it right here. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. As far as I know, everybody in here has a couple. We're talking about very real practical lips like these. I have just like, Christy makes fun of my mouth because I just have like a little cut in my face. I really don't have big voluptuous lips. But they're there, I promise. And we're talking about real lips here. An appropriate response to what God has done for us in Christ is that our lips are flapping And that they're speaking and they're singing the praise of what he's done. The excellencies of what he's done. That we are giving him credit in word and song. We do it every Sunday singing about the excellencies of God. Hebrews has a beautiful picture earlier in the book that I'll share with you. In Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 12, it says, this is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Speaking of Jesus, now look, listen to what Jesus does. You don't need to turn there, just listen. You can if you want, but listen. This is Jesus saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. This is Jesus speaking here. I will tell of your name, Father God, to my brothers. And I will sing your praise in the congregation. What the Hebrews preacher is doing over here in chapter 13, verse 15, is he's inviting the Hebrews church and what God is doing for us through this written word is he's inviting us to join our Savior in song. He is the singing champion. He is the singing priest. And he's singing about the excellencies of the Father. 
And the Hebrews preacher is saying, Hebrews church, join in. And I'm saying it this morning, Crosspoint Fellowship, join in with word and with song, enjoying the excellencies of our God. I told you I was going to have you turn a couple places. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is the first of those three places. And I'd like for you to turn there. Even if you're not one of those, you're like, man, I'm an audible kind of guy. I don't need to see it. I want you to see what's going to unfold in this verse. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's likely one in the seat back in front of you, or not on the seat back, under the seat in front of you, and you can swoop that thing out of there. If you don't have a Bible, you can have that. But I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's back toward the back of the Bible. I don't have a page number for you, but it's back there. Listen to this verse. It's so cool. Verses that you've read your whole lives, some of you. But look what unfolds in this passage. You are a chosen race. Peter's writing this to believers all over the Roman Empire. You Christians are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Sounds pretty cool. Those are some things that we should all celebrate. Christians in the Roman Empire are going to be celebrating hearing these things. Yes, we are his. We are a holy nation. We are a, a people for his own possession. But what comes next is a purpose clause. You're a priesthood. You're a chosen race. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his possession. That, in order that, so that... You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were chosen people of God. You were saved and ordained as priests, not just so you could go to heaven. You were chosen. You were called. You were ordained as priests so that in order that For the purpose of proclamation. Proclamation of the excellencies of God. Man, our lips were made for worship. Man, some of you might feel like, I'm just, yeah, I'm not not really an outgoing guy. You know, everything's really internal for me. Well, it's time to bring it to the external through this pie hole. You was made for that. That's what God's people do, is we talk about how great he is. You were chosen for it. You were called for it. You were ordained for it. Our lips at work, making much of him, are like the sun shining on the tree of his work. It's like the rain falling and gushing on the tree of his work that fosters the growth of fruit and the fruit being A sacrifice of praise. Your lips flapping with the greatness of God is what fosters the growth of that fruit of praise. Turn to Psalm 50. This is one of the other places I was going to have you go this morning. In the original Greek of this passage in Hebrews chapter 13, there are some references that are clear enough to Psalm chapter 50 for us to go there. 
They're in the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, but some verbatim phrasing that connects us to Psalm chapter 50. So that's why I'm doing the work to take us of Psalm chapter 50. Because what I want to see, what I want you to see here is what unfolds is very important. As you're turning there, what I want you to begin to think about, kind of put your head around as we begin to read this passage, is that the heart of what's being encouraged here, the sacrifice of praise, what is at the heart of praise is thanksgiving and gratitude. That's what praise is. Thanksgiving and gratitude. Look at Psalm chapter 50, beginning, Psalm number 50, excuse me, beginning in verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. That's an important word that we'll look at here in a moment. You sacrifice in lambs, bulls, and goats all over the place. Man, the temple or tabernacle, depending on when this psalm was written, is bloody. Continually offering a bunch of sacrifices, and you're doing it before me. But I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is already mine. You're not giving me something I didn't have, Israel. The cattle on a thousand hills, it's already mine. I know all the birds of the hills and all, the mo- and, and all that moves in the fields, because they're mine. And I'm not hungry, by the way, because if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Look what he says next. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. The heart of this psalm is the encouragement. We don't need more blood. We need more gratitude. Because there's continually in front of me blood flying everywhere. But what I'm looking for here instead is a sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving, of gratitude and the appropriate response to Hebrews chapters 1 through 10 of what has been done for the Hebrews church is what had been done for us the appropriate response is gratitude for what he's done for you and where he has you hear that last part some of you say man I love Jesus I'm thankful for what he did for me but I hate Greenville I hate all these people around me I hate my neighbors. I, it's okay to hate Walmart. All right, I'm with you there. But man, I'm talking, listen, how about gratitude, not only for what he's done for you, but where he has you. With the man or woman that's sitting right next to you. With the little row of kids that's sitting right next to you. With the family that's sitting in front of you. Real gratitude is an appropriate response to what he's done for us in Christ. It's a fitting sacrifice. Man, don't shed another drop of blood. Don't wear a crown of thorns. Don't hang on a cross till you feel cleansed. Instead, sing and say thanks 
thanks for the last drop so perfectly shed. That'll be enough for me. That's a fitting response to the cross. It's your sacrifice of praise. It's saying thank you. Whatever else I don't get, I've got that. And that's enough. Man, that's a fitting response to the cross. Say thank you that by his wounds we are healed. Man, I want you to imagine for a minute the miserable lot for a husband who's married to a wife that's never content. I don't know anybody like this. You might think I'm referring to them. I'm not. It's an imaginary guy. Let's imagine for a minute. A guy that's married to a woman that's never content, that's never happy, that's never grateful, no matter what this poor man does, it's never enough for her. Man, what a miserable existence for homeboy. What a miserable existence. And it's a picture of what our worship smells like is a stench when we're ungrateful. When it's just never enough, God. Oh, thanks for Jesus, but oh, by the way, the rest of it. No thanks. Man, think about the flip side. How wonderful is it for a husband when his wife is content and happy and thankful? It's a sweet aroma of worship when we as God's bride are truly thankful, truly grateful, and we're saying as much with this little cut in my face, saying it. Speaking it, singing it. Some of you write songs. You're writing songs. Some of the best songs in worship I've ever heard have been written by guys like Aaron Hamilton. Right here. Clint Stevens, right here. Singing and saying how great he is. You don't have to be a songwriter either. Just sing along with what's been written. Agree with it. Man, we're made for it. We're made for it. And our sacrifices of praise, by the way, aren't seasonal. Remember the word that I pointed out there over there in Psalm 50, verse 8? All those things, they're continually in front of me, all these bloody sacrifices. But the word here is brought over into Hebrews chapter 13. He says, continually offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Continually offer. Not just in season when things are easy and you have the wind to your back, but continually offering in praise is a fitting response to the cross. Lips giving God the credit and the resultant fruit won't be seasonal if we're doing that. It'll be year-round. This isn't a fair-weather venture, but a yearly produce. When things are tough and when things are good. When life is hard and when it's easy. It's a fitting response to his perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of praise, continually offered. The fruit of lips that are working, acknowledging his name. Real lips with real acknowledgement. The second Fitting response to this perfect sacrifice of Christ is in verse 16. Just serves them up for us. The second one here in verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
man, just served up on a platter right there. And we don't have to really be a theologian to kind of figure out, what's he really saying there? It's very clear what he's really saying there. Is it you're actually, in response to the cross, a good person? <gasps> How about that notion? Seriously, I like the theological. Let me figure out what he's really saying here. But you don't need to do that here. The reason I like it is because I'm not naturally a good guy. I promise you I'm not. I told Christy a few months ago, I'm not really a good man. I'm being really honest. I help people when it's convenient. Or I'm good to people when they feel like they've earned it. You've got to earn my goodness. I'm being really honest right here. An appropriate response to the cross, whatever my tendencies may be, is to actually be a good man. I want to be that man. Do you, in appropriate response to the cross, want to be a good woman? A good man? A good young man? A good young woman. This is why I want to be a good person. Not so people will like me, but because God loved me. What a great and fitting and appropriate sacrifice. There are people in my life that I want to model that are just good people. Jerry Morris is a good man. He's good to strangers. And I'm like, why are you nice to a stranger? He hasn't earned your goodness. Daniel McGraw, he amazes me. He's nice to everybody. I used to look at that and say, I'm kind of glad I'm not like that. I'm kind of ornery. <laughs> but I'm looking at stuff like this. I'm going, I want to be that man. I want to be nice to a stranger. It's a fitting and appropriate response to the cross to do good things for others. Don't neglect doing good. And this others here especially are the brothers and sisters of the faith. Being really good to one another. Helping those in need. Not just in word, but also in deed. Man, it's a fitting and appropriate response to the cross. And the second part of that one is sharing what you have. The word there in the original Greek is the word koinonia. It means fellowship. Fellowshipping what you have would be like a direct translation. An appropriate and fitting response to the cross is a sacrifice of praise, doing good to others, and sharing, fellowshipping what you have with one another. And we're not just talking about stuff. We're obviously talking about stuff. But it's so much more than that. Stuff. Let's start there. How about like really? Where you, we really have everything in common. If somebody has an edger, we all have an edger. <laughs> I mean, really. That sort of like otherworldly commonness that we share with one, one another, that koinonia, that fellowship of stuff. Well, your stuff is my stuff because we're members of one another. Time, how about that one? Now, time is a lot harder for me than sharing stuff. Sharing time, being flexible and generous, not stingy with your time. I'm stingy with my time. I, I confess to you, if you get some of my time, know that Jesus is doing a work in me. <laughs> and there's hope for all of us. Because time is so valuable to me. 
but an appropriate and fitting response to the cross is that you actually share real time, real lips, real time, like Tuesdays, like Mondays that are crazy busy, that you share time to fellowship with one another in life groups, that it's actually a sacrifice. Well, it's called a sacrifice. You're like, I got to give up a night of the week to get together with other people in my church? That's a sacrifice. Exactly. And it's a fitting and appropriate response to the cross. You give up some time. You give some attention. How about that? Sharing attention. Like real attention when other people are in difficult situations. Sharing attentiveness in other people's struggles. Many of you are models of this. Many of you. Just this last couple of weeks, I've been very attentive to Aaron Hamilton being a model of this. No matter what the struggle is, that dude is so tuned in to his people in his life group that he shares their struggles, every single one of them. I have a list of people on the page here that you can't even, the page is just all the margins are filled in with people that come to mind. They're so attentive to one another. It's appropriate and fitting response to the cross. Keep it up. It's an offering. And it's a pleasing one, by the way, is what he says here. Gifts, that's one. Sharing your gifts with one another. That God has given you something that you're really good at, and you do that to edify and build up the other members of the body as you actually minister to them with your gifts. Man, so many gifts to list in here. Somebody that's just come to mind for me lately and seeing this, the fruit of their giftedness hanging around a lot of our ladies' necks, Casey Nelson, making just sweet, thoughtful gifts. And those are physical, but there's gifting behind that. This ladies' retreat that was put together last week were, was put together by people exercising their gifts as an appropriate response to the cross. It's an offering, and it's a good one. Hospitality is another one. And also here I have a list of names of tables that I've eaten at recently. Or homes that I've spent a lot of time in as people are opening and sharing koinonia their lives with one another as an appropriate and fitting response to the cross. Man. A sacrificial response to Christ's cross too, you could just summarize it, is sharing life with one another. Really sharing life with one another which is a sacrifice for some of us. Some of us that flit about, and I don't mean flit in a bad way, flit as in they're just so comfortable with people and they just are fed and nourished and fueled by being with one another. Not everybody's made that way. (laughs) And some of us, it's a real sacrifice to be with one another because you constantly feel hurt. Me. I'm suspicious of everyone by nature. I don't know why. What's in it for you? I bring that kind of stuff to a relationship, but then again, Jesus is at work in and on me to change my heart about those sorts of things. It is a sacrifice, though, to truly share life with one another. And it's a sacrifice, too, because it won't always be reciprocal. You may open your home and koinonia your table, and yet nobody invites you to their home, but you keep doing it because it's a fitting sacrifice. It's pleasing. It's an appropriate response to the cross. Some of you may have noticed that there's yet another let us in this passage. A year ago, Easter, Easter 2014, we met our first let us in the book of Hebrews. In response to Christ's work as high priest, 
let us draw near. A year ago, we considered a let us, that we together draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Just a few months ago, we considered let us run the race with endurance. Yet here is another let us. Let us share koinonia life with one another. For praising God is not at best done alone. It's done with his people together. Sharing life involves knowing and being known. And I know that's more sacrificial for some of you than others. But you do it anyway because of his sacrifice. If you're not participating in that, I want to tell you, you're missing out on a fitting response to Christ's work. It's hard, but you press on. Whatever your little quiet voice might be telling you, you press on because you know it's God best for you. And it's a fitting response to what he's done. I have two thoughts of application this morning. First, these two sacrifices, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, and the sacrifice of actually being good, like real being good to one another, and the sacrifice of sharing life with one another, these are Siamese twins conjoined at the chest, and they share a heart. These Siamese twins go together. If you try and offer praise to God without the sacrifice of good works and sharing with God's people, God in 1 John says you're a liar. I want you all to hear what I just said. If you're like, man, I'm good at the sacrifice of praise from my lips about how great God is, but I really don't have any use for all these people. I really am, am, I'm going to focus on the other thing, but I'm not going to focus on being good to God's people and actually know and being, being known. Here's what 1 John chapter 4 says. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. They're Siamese twins conjoined at the chest and they share a heart. You try and separate one from the other, they die. You say you love God, but you don't have any use for people. People are just too difficult for you. And here, I, I shared a lot with you about my nature. Some of you can identify with these things that I've shared with you. Some of you are like, man, he's, he's weird. But some of you are like, yeah, I totally get it. Man, you can't let those things keep you from doing and being what God's called you to do and be in light of his cross. Without the practical demonstration of love for other believers, the praise of God is empty air and noise. Man, I hope you heard that. Without a practical demonstration, real love for other believers, the praise of God is empty. And on the flip side, if your life is just about doing good works and sharing with other people, that's really sweet and all, but it's not worship if it's not connected to a sacrifice of praise. If it's not connected to the tree, 
It's not real fruit. It's like that bowl that you have at your friend's house, your granny has at her house, that has fruit that you look like is real, but it's not. It's not real. Man, as I was looking at this, at verses 6, 15 and 16, I'm seeing this thing, this vertical, this praise toward God, and seeing this thing, this horizontal, this love toward man in goodness and sharing, it just sounded familiar to me. Some of you, I wonder if your minds have been spinning here thinking, it sounds kind of familiar, this vertical thing, and then this horizontal thing being the whole thing. In Matthew chapter 22, someone asked Jesus, a teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he answered him, listen to what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But he kept talking. He didn't stop right there. He said, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's called the double love command. This Hebrews chapter 13, 15, and 16, they beautifully follow the double love command. Vertical praise horizontal, real, tangible, real time, real sharing a table, love for people. He just asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered both because they're inextricable. You separate one for the other and it doesn't survive. Man, pathos fuels Ethos, what you believe with your heart must influence your hand. And your hand, the hand of help, must be directed by a heart of praise. The second encouragement, the second application for you is that this praise to God and this goodness and sharing to others is, you may have missed it, because the word may have just come, you just, we just said it about a hundred times, but you may have really missed what the word is. The word is sacrificial. I mean, really, just think for a minute, okay? Sacrificial. Somebody says something is sacrificial. Okay, being in this club, you have to be sacrificial. You automatically think time, investment, maybe even expense, if you want to be in this hobby and you want to be good at it. You're going to have to think sacrificially. Okay, time, money, expense, effort. We're talking about real application of real sacrificial response to the perfect and final sacrifice. Sounds kind of counterintuitive. Do you realize the sacrificial system is still going on? It's changed. There's no more blood to be shed because the final drop has been shed, remember? Remember? But the sacrificial system continues. And the sacrificial system are the people of God enjoying the perfect and final sacrifice and offering responding sacrifices. When I say final sacrifice, I mean the final sin-covering sacrifice. We don't offer sin-covering sacrifices. We offer sacrifices that are a response to our sin being covered. But the sacrificial system apparently it's still going on. Last place I'm going to have you turn this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2. If you had a bookmark in there, you're still there. So flip back over there, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter's bumped into some really good stuff of what we were saved for here. Really helpful stuff. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Look at this. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We're talking about Jesus. You yourselves, that's for emphasis, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Remember I just said a minute ago, the sacrificial system's still going on. There's still a priesthood, and you're it. Let that just hit you for a minute. Oh, I, I mean, I've heard that talked about for years, you know. Oh, oh wait, oh, I'm a priest, and the sacrificial system is still going on? Huh. Well, what am I supposed to do? It's right there in the rest of that verse. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We've talked about two of those today. To pleasing, acceptable, spiritual sacrifices are the sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of helping other people and loving other people in real practical ways. Just think about this for a minute. This, this is something that's very common. And it, little kids shouldn't be thinking this way, but we should help our little kids understand this. If you ask little Johnny, little Johnny, why did, did, did Jesus die for your sins? And little Johnny's answer is going to be, well, so I can go to heaven. Okay, that, that's a starting point, but hopefully little Johnny, when he becomes big John, He's grown out of that, and that's been rounded out a little bit, where he realizes he hasn't been saved, remember, ordained, called, chosen, just to go to heaven. But he's been saved and called and ordained and redeemed for a purpose. And here's the beautiful purpose here, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. You've been saved in order to do the things we've been talking about this morning. But yet, a lot of times we as Christians can live like an employee that was hired just to collect a paycheck. Think about that for a minute. An employee that's hired just to collect a paycheck. Hey, Big John, we're going to use John again. Big John, I'm going to hire you for this job, and I really, you don't have to do anything. You just show up, and you're going to get paid, dog. You're going to show up, and I'm going to pay you on time, every time. And Big John's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That's not Christianity. We've been called. We've been redeemed. We've been saved for a purpose. We're priests to continue in the sacrificial system of spiritual sacrifices, of the sacrifice of praise, and the sacrifice of loving others in appropriate, fitting thoughtful, sharing, koinonia kind of ways. Man, Christians could do with a thought like that in response to the fact that your sins have been paid for to live and move in a way that's sacrificial. No crown of thorns, no floggings, no hang on the cross until you get cry uncle. You just praise him, just thank him. Real gratitude on Tuesday. Real thankfulness in Greenville. Real thankful, thankfulness with people that you can see, remember, sitting around you. That is an appropriate 
response. In light of what Christ has done as the final sacrifice, we are to sacrificially praise him and we are to sacrificially love others, whatever your predispositions might be. The most difficult among you, I'm with you. But in response to the cross, it's sacrificial. Sacrifice means it's going to cost you something. You can't be driven by convenience. You're driven by his sacrifice, responding to the vicarious payment that you could never pay that was paid for you in full. You respond with giving all that you have vertically in praise, horizontally in love. Let me pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for simplicity. I'm thankful for these Sundays that we have and these passages that we have that just seem to condense the essence of what it means to be Christian in such a one-sitting occasion. I'm thankful this morning that we have the chance to consider the through him, that through Christ's work, through his perfections, through his sinlessness, through his offering of himself as the final and perfect and sanctifying sacrifice, that through him that we have a way to deal with our sin by faith, trusting in him, and that we then can respond with fitting and appropriate sacrifices. Lord, I beg that we will continue to grow in being this people. This passage this morning is in a lot of ways affirming for this church because we see you at work in a song of praise that's in your direction, that's rich and fresh and vibrant and living from week to week. People that are eager to sing and say back to you what's true. And then this example after example that we have surrounding us of people that are loving each other in real and hard ways. God, I pray for more of the same. And I pray that as a result of that, that you will draw other people into this beautiful, sacrificial environment. God, we are thankful that we have all the resource, that we have all the goods, that we have all the fuel that we will ever need to be sacrificial in the final and perfect sacrifice that was accomplished for us in Christ. We enjoy our high priest this morning. We enjoy his offering. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This passage in Hebrews, guys that study this passage, that Lane is one that I've mentioned as being a really responsible um, commentator, He believes, among other people, that this verse 15 especially, but since 15 and 16 are connected, has a direct reference in it to the Lord's Supper. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, that that's what we do every single week in the Lord's Supper. We acknowledge his excellencies. We acknowledge his work. We acknowledge the sufficiency of all of that. We acknowledge that we are thankful, that we are grateful. And we could add today that we acknowledge in the Lord's Supper that we want to respond in ways that are fitting and appropriate, sacrificially, sacrificially praising Him, sacrificially loving one another. Together in the Lord's Supper, we are enjoying a finished and excellent work. Together, we say thank you. And together we commit to fidelity in worship and wholeheartedness in love for others.
This is a good good and pleasing sacrifice that we continually offer every week. Every time we gather. I invite you to this table as we distribute the elements here in a moment. If you have no through him, going back to the first part of the sermon. If you have no faith in him that he is your replacement. That he dealt with your sin. Even though you don't deserve it. If you don't believe that, this supper's not for you. You'll have lunch in a few minutes. I'm not being ugly. I'm just telling you, this supper is for those who are through him offering sacrifices. This supper is for those that are trusting that he paid the price for our sin and we didn't deserve it. Maybe today's the first time you ever did that. Maybe some of you are here this morning and thinking, okay, I figured out how to deal with my sin and I'm trusting that Christ is who he says he was, that he did what he said he did, then you take and eat and you enjoy your first supper with us. And for those of you that may have had many supper, let's continually offer praise as we distribute and take and eat.